For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And a good morning, football fans, specifically you Eagle fans. This is Birds 365. We are the Mac and Mac guys. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, and Jay Mac. There are 60 hours in the day. And by my math, there are 60 hours until the NFL draft, as of right now, when the Jacksonville Jaguars get on the clock. Much more importantly to the Philadelphia Eagles is that number 12 selection. When they get on the clock, something that it seems like we've been waiting for forever. But now that we've got it down to hours, J-Mac, we can actually say it is right around the corner. Yeah, I I don't know about that math, Jody. I got to call up. But I got my second stab yesterday. I got to call up Alec Halaby. And my analytics department to figure that out. Where are we? It's Tuesday, right? Okay, right. So, so Wednesday, Thursday, so 24 hours. We're what? 40, uh, eh, 48 and some change away. So you're right. About 60. I'll give it to you. Okay. Uh, my math is not deep. I, I'm going slow today. I, You know. Well, let's do this then. All right. <laughs> 24 hours from now would be Wednesday morning. Wednesday. 48 hours. Thursday, 48. And right. then you're right. You're right. I was and just doing it in my from head. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. is 12 more. I, I hit the nail right on the head, did. didn't I? Yes, I said. I, I need Alec Halaby. You're you're better than me. Well, I, it, John, if I'm better than you in math, that's a real sad testament <laughs> to your math. Because I am not the greatest by any stretch of the imagination. But at least that much. I'm a wordsmith, Jody. Not Yes, math. you are. Stick to the words. Yeah. For, uh, spit them out at me for the next... Two hours here on Birds 365. All right. We got two good guests coming your way today. Rick Saratello will rejoin us. We had him on uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, our first week here on Birds 365. Uh, Draft Insider uh, has been putting out the NFL Draft Bible for years. Uh, Rick and I have been buddies for at least the last decade, and he's always been loyal to me and comes on my show basically uh, whenever I need him to, and he will be on today. I have my copy of his NFL Draft Bible, which he puts out in print. He told me last night, already sold out all the print copies. I told him I'm going to Craigslist to see if I can sell mine if he's not putting out anymore, but he also puts it out (laughs) uh, digitally if you want to get it and have it handy for you draft night thursday friday or saturday he's still got uh, the ability to send you that stuff we're going to punch him up uh, about uh, 15 18 minutes from now and in an hour number two trey wingo is going to join us most of you should recognize the name he anchored espn's coverage for years chris berman was the day one host and trey wingo was day two um when it was a two-day draft became the anchor of day two and day three and then when Chris stepped aside, Trey got the big chair for the start of the draft. Uh, no longer hosting for ESPN. We'll find out what Trey's up to, but certainly he knows his way around the draft as well as anybody. Looking forward to talking and catching up with him in hour number two. And it's all about the selections, uh, Johnny Mac. 
It's all about the big board. When the Eagles had their media availability last week, they talked about how they're collaborating on the board. The board <laughs> is all important, that the scouting staff was working so well with the coaching staff to put their board together. I think I've answered this before or since they had that media thing. How much of that are you buying that uh, they uh, could hold hands uh, and sing Kumbaya and this is going to be a true year where the board is the king? Uh, not much. I mean, you have to see it. And we're coming off a couple years where uh, there have been at least a couple of well-reported, well-chronicled incidents, which, by the way, Howie Roseman did not deny, where maybe the picks uh, weren't true to the Eagles board. Uh, and that's where you get in trouble, obviously. And uh, we'll see. I mean, there's still plenty of time for Jalen Rager and Jalen Hurts to turn into really good players. So it's not a death sentence by any means, but it does hurt the organization. I think we've had a number of guests over the last couple of weeks that said, you know, you could take the air out of a building pretty quickly if you've got scouts who've been working on this board for seven months and everybody agrees to it throughout that collaborative process, Jody, and then all of a sudden you, you get to draft day and you take somebody else. I, I, that's that, that's very strange behavior, to be quite honest. I don't, I don't know any other way to describe it, and that's sort of how the Eagles have been operating. Hopefully that changes because I think consistency – leads you to having a better opportunity to get decisions right. And the consistency is one of the things that Johnny and I have been debating on uh, over the three weeks of Birds 365 about will the Eagles stay consistent to their draft history or will they be more a team that looks at the roster and says, well, this is where we need upgrading most and this is where we have holes and this is the need we're going to fill or will they continue to uh, stay inside, in the trenches, follow a philosophy that Andy Reid brought to the team with him years ago and still seems pretty pervasive for the Eagles? We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, but the board will dictate it, or it should. Most teams mm. will tell you before a draft ever starts, they painstakingly go through the process of putting these players in their specific order, and then they hold hard to those ratings, to those rankings, and draft accordingly. So I thought you and I would have some fun today because we've talked about what we would do if we were in the Eagles' position, if this happens in front of them, if this trade is made, how will this affect them? Will the Eagles actually trade themselves, move up, move back? I have one perspective individual that I want to ask you about that the Eagles could see fall a little bit further than expected, and do they get aggressive and move up and uh, make a deal for them? But we'll get to that in a second. First thing first. I asked you last night, do me a favor, put together an Eagles big board for me. Uh, not 150, 175 players as we keep nope. hearing. That's all they need for all six rounds. I got 650 points. Do you have 650? I'll tell you how many I have. 13. <laughs> all I'm going to ask you to do is rattle off your top 13 since the Eagles do have the 12th pick. If we can come up with 11 names that could, may, probably will be gone We'll know who's left on the board and try as best we can to figure out who the Eagles are going to take at number 12. So here's how I want to do this. You go through your top five. I'll go through my top five. You go through your next five. I'll go through my next five. And then we'll cap it off with our last uh, guy apiece. And we'll see who's left on the board for each of us to take. 
how do you order the top five ranked rated qualified players in the draft for you? Well, number one is pretty obvious, and that's Trevor Lawrence, I think. You know, he's basically been throughout, no matter what personnel evaluator you talk to in this league, uh, they're going to put pretty much Trevor Lawrence at number one. Uh, so the board really starts for me at number two. I I got three players in the mix, but I went with Kyle Pitts because I think he's so unique. Uh, uh, you know, people have called him a unicorn at the tight end position. He's really not a tight end. He's more of a big flex receiver in the Travis Kelsey mode. I have him at number two. I have Penay Sewell at number three, uh, the big left tackle left tackle from Oregon. I think he's going to be a 10-year starter in this league. Uh, then I have Jamar Chase at number four, the wide receiver from LSU. And Zach Wilson, your, your guy, your soon-to-be guy, the second quarterback on the board, soon-to-be New York Jet. I have him at number five. See, this is why we have fun with this exercise. This is why you need to make up your own big board before Thursday night because chances are it's not going to be the same as everybody else's, just <laughs> as mine and John are not the same. Out of the five, you and I have one play, two players in the exact same spot. We both have Trevor Lawrence, number one. That might be one that goes across the board. Well, nothing's ever 100%. So on 98% of the draft boards, Trevor Lawrence will be number one. I have Justin Fields number two. You know how much I appreciate the uh, stud quarterback. I think he is actually closer to Trevor Lawrence than the drop-off between Fields as the number two quarterback to whoever you're going to rank number three, and we'll get to who I rank number three, even though no other quarterback comes into my top five. Um, so I've got uh, Justin Fields at number two. At number three, I've got Panay Sewell, same as you. I think he's a uh, left tackle that's going to be going to Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl and could eventually someday be a an NFL Hall of Famer. So you and I both have Panay Sewell at number three. I've got Devontae Smith at number four. Uh, Smith and Chase, to me, are four and four A, but you can't do that on a draft board. There are no A's. It's You hope you make an A pick after it's over and done with, but it's four, then it's five, then it's six, then it's seven. You have to put them in an order. So if I was forced to, I'd put Smith four, and i put put uh, Jamar Chase number five. So we have similar players, a little bit different positioning, but those are your top four and my top five. Give me six through ten for John McMullen. All right. Uh, I'm going to go the other wide receiver from Alabama uh, at number six, and that's Waddle. So he'll be my number six. Um, um, number seven, uh, I'm going to go quarterbacks back-to-back -back here, and I'm going to surprise you a little bit, Jody. This is not a, a – an insult at Justin Fields, but the more people I've talked to about Trey Lance, his upside is just astronomical, uh, according to league executives. A little bit of a boomer bust, but I just think talent alone, I'm going to put Lance at seven. I'm going to put Fields at eight. I'm finally going to go defense at number nine. Uh, Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama. This is very Alabama heavy. So uh, obviously Xander Krause is going to be very excited by this. And then number 10, I'm going to go Northwestern offensive lineman, 
Rashawn Slater. All right, my next five are uh, some matches to yours, some not. Um, I've got uh, Kyle Pitts, who I think you had number two overall. Yes. I had him down at six, uh, which seems like a diss. Uh, I really don't mean it to be. I just had five players I thought I had to put higher than him. By the way, real quick, Jody, I think people are – People will say that's a diss. How how could it be a diss to put somebody as the sixth best player? <laughs> well, if you if you believe that they are the first or second best player in the draft, yeah. and you had them at number two, if you got them at six, yeah, it is a little. Bit All of a these diss. players are good. Is my point very true? Uh, if I need to apologize, so apologize. Uh, at number seven, I've got Mac Jones. Um, I think Mac Jones is going to be a very good quarterback. If he goes number three to San Francisco, some people will roll their eyes and say, this is just Shanahan drafting a system quarterback. They're not actually judging the talent. I don't agree with that. I think Mac Jones got a ton of talent. And for those who make the argument, oh, you got to be an athletic quarterback. Mac Jones is a statue. Well, that statue named Brady just won his seventh Super Bowl. So if you tell me you can't win with a non-mobile quarterback in the National Football League, you're either kidding yourself or you're not paying close enough attention. Uh, Mac Jones is going to win in this league, mark my words. I have him rated above uh, the quarterback that you had uh, in the top five, uh, Zach Wilson. Between, and I've got Wilson at number nine, between Jones at seven and Wilson at nine, I've got Patrick Sertain. You had him in your top 10. I've got him at number eight. That's bad news for the Eagle fans that want to see Patrick Sertain get down to 12 where the Eagles can get their hands on him. Uh, Wilson at nine for me. And Mackay Parsons, Michael Parsons, I'm putting in at number 10. Uh, some people have dropped him down their board a little bit. There are some character questions with Parsons. He did not play this year. He was an opt-out guy, so we didn't get a chance to evaluate him. But what he did the previous season and the show that he put on at his pro day tells me he is every bit the talent that had him on most people during the offseason, starting this year and going through this year, in people's top five talented players I've got him coming in at number 10, so I probably have him dropping a little bit too from once he was, but at least I don't have him dropping out of the top 10. I am at number 10. All right, Johnny Mac, give me two more. Give me your 11th and 12th guy, assuming number 12 could very well be a Philadelphia Eagle choice. Well, it's not how I did it, so I don't think the Eagles are taking him at number 12. This is just my big board, and this right. is who I think are the 12 best players. But see, in the your draft. big board is going to be so good. We know that the 11 that now you have one to 11 will all be gone. So by process of elimination, it's going to be the Eagles number 12. How we might, might be listening and fans will be very upset if he is listening. So, which I've already been through with this particular player, but number 11 is going to surprise some people as well. Cause I love this kid. I think he's the future of defensive football in the NFL. And that's, uh, I'm going to screw up his name, Jeremiah Awosu Koromoa, uh, the hybrid player from Notre Dame. Everybody in this league I talk to talks about positionless players on the back seven of the NFL. That's the way the evolution of football is going. I have never seen anyone better prepared coming into this league to move all over the place. I mean, all over the place on the back seven of a defense that's why I love him so much. Number 12, 
The other thing I like when I talk to personnel evaluators is when they say the word clean and when they say the word safe. And I brought this up with you before with Zach Martin. I heard it with Zach Martin. I'm hearing the same things with Elijah Bear Tucker, the offensive lineman. And I'm not going to call him an offensive tackle. I'm not going to call him an offensive guard because he can play four of the five positions if you need him to. He's my number 12. Uh, I I like your lesson. I like your line of reasoning on the last two, except for one thing. And uh, excuse me, because I'm having a brain fart. Uh, you're going to help me out here, Mr. Football. Um, positionless football players in the back seven in the National Football League, the way things are trending. Um, not yet for me and not yet through uh, proof on the field and specifically the draft. Who was the Defensive player from Clemson. Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons, who yeah. was supposed to be much like your kid from Notre Dame, positionless player. Can uh, rush the pass rusher, uh, standing up on the outside of the line, can uh, eat up all tackles in the middle of the field, could carry cover tight ends and backs coming out of the backfield. He was a guy who improved over the second half last year for Arizona. But truth be told, he contributed next to nothing for the first eight games of the season. Oh, I agree. So it took I them agree. a while to figure out how to use a positionless player. And because he did next to nothing in the first step, you could reasonably say, maybe optimistically say, he was improved in the second half. <clears throat> when you look at the big body of work for a guy who was drafted as high as he was in the first round, the numbers don't jump off the board for what he contributed last year. So I'm not sure we're to the level yet that you're talking about that the NFL is becoming a positionless league, it's going to take some time for that to happen. Maybe the kid from Notre Dame helps them become that, but I'm not sure that we're there just yet in the NFL. No, I agree. I think the better – Isaiah Simmons was just an athlete. I mean, that's why he was picked so high. He's much bigger than JOK. Uh, he's just test out of the board, you know, out of the world on everything, but he was very raw. The difference with this kid, I think he's ready to play right now at all these different positions. He he could play slot cornerback for you. He could play strong safety. He's obviously a linebacker. I look more towards what Malcolm Jenkins did here, moving all over the defense. But this kid's, you know, whatever he is, 21, 22. Um, it's going to take – it takes all young players. But I think he's more – far more ready to go even though Simmer, Simmons was a higher-touted prospect, because Simmons, it was all about the measurables. It was all about the physical ability, which is out of the out of this world. This kid, he's got great physical ability. Maybe not, he's certainly not as big as Simmons, weighs about 215, 220 pounds, but he can play already. He's not raw. So that's why I think it's a little bit different. Right, but was anybody saying Simmons was raw last year when the Cardinals picked him as high as they did? I, I think, think some people were. But, uh, you know, the Cardinals, uh, look, they expect – anytime you pick somebody that high in the draft, you expect them to contribute right away. And you're right, Jody. Second half of the season, you started to go, oh, okay, I get it. He did. Made some plays for him because he made almost no plays in the first half of the season. So there was only one direction to go, but up. All right. One last question for you. We're going to punch up Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible shortly. Uh, am I correct here in assuming that you did not have Devonta Smith in your top 12? Number 13. 13. Number 13. 
I, I apologized because I thought I may have uh, underrated uh, Mr. Pitts at number six because some people have him, as you do, ranked two or three. I got him down at number six. Oh, I, yeah, I think you'll be apologizing to Devontae Smith for years to come. No. Come when on. he is making you're you're, you're 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 crazy with this nonsense. You you oh. got this kid going. You, you got this kid. They're making the bus for him. He's already being Canton, according pro to Bowl you. Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl. I uh, Deshaun Jackson is his basically ceiling as a player. Deshaun Jackson is one of the greatest deep threats in the history of the NFL. Uh, great player. If that worked out, if the Eagles got that type of player for that long before, you know, people are stained by the last few years of Deshaun Jackson's career, that would be great. Still not going to the Hall of Fame, but I think he's still not going to be a top-tier receiver. There are some limitations, Jody. When you weigh 166 pounds in this league, there are some limitations. You're not going to be Julio Jones. You're not going to be Calvin Johnson. You're not going to be Randy Moss. You're just not physically capable of being that type of player. When I'm not going to ap apologize when for that. He rewrite, I it. When he rewrites the way things are supposed to be in the National Football League, you and I hopefully still doing Birds 365, I will tell you, I was not a slave to history like you were, Johnny Mac. <laughs> some people just... Or, or those who failed to learn from history. If he is a constantly injured guy because he's just so I don't locally... think he's going to be necessarily constantly injured, but I do think there are some limitations when you're that. I mean, if you go against, you think about great corners in their prime, Richard Sherman, big physical corner, uh, Patrick Peterson, big physical corner. Which, by the way, prime. how much time do either of those guys have left in their pro career? I said in their prime. Okay, who is Devontae Smith going to be going up against? These great shutdown corners that are going to be able to marginalize him and his on his NFL. Well, look team at the corners the in this decade. draft. Look at the corners in this draft. Look at the size. Look at the length. Look at the physicality. I mean, if they get their hands on him at the line of scrimmage, who are, who are the corners in this draft? You got Patrick Sertain. You got okay, Caleb so Barley. He, he went up against him every single day in practice this year. Uh, C.J. Horn went up against him. And he had we'll ask Rick. There's some great SEC corners. One of the reasons that the two Georgia kids are, are potentially going to go late in the first round. Look, he's played the best competition in college football. But, you know, maybe it is because you're a Jets guy, because Joe Douglas, the Jet, you know, he got into this, um, look, what was your production at the college level? Which is great. It's better than failing at the college level. But this is about projecting, not looking back, projecting. Sometimes projection are just as easy as looking up the stats, that if you did it on the college level in a conference like the SEC, there's probably no reason why you can't do it on a National yeah. Football League level either. When's Tim Tebow going in the Hall of Fame? That's wow. the greatest college football player of all time in the SEC. But that you could tell. that There, there are some things. <laughs> what, what can you see, not, not uh, physically related, not because of his size, what did what hole did you see? What inability did uh, Devonta Smith show you on the collegiate level? None, none. 
Oh, I can. But, do you listen, want me to give you the list of the inability Tim Tebow had when he was quarterback at Florida? They were uh, standing out like sports you, you are you you are just passing over the physicality part of it in the NFL like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Give me the list of 165 pound receivers that well, are in the Hall of Fame. How did he perform in the SEC, the best college football? What does that conference? have to do with the NFL? The NFL is better than the where SEC. Did the, where, did the, where did the NFLs get their players from? Collegiate but, level? The, the, so, do, what, so when they graduate and, we'll and they get undrafted, we'll do they on. all become physical beasts all right. that a we'll guy have, can't deal we'll with? Have, and Devontae Smith has got no chance to ever get any bigger or any stronger. But all these cornerbacks who are drafted from the college level go into the pros. Somehow they magically become these physical individuals. No, already at that thin wide receivers level. can't so play are. against. I don't buy it. That's fine. but and And we'll bring Rick on. Rick will tell you. The third or fourth cornerback on the college level ain't going to the NFL. Ain't going. Even in Alabama, even in Florida, even at Texas A&M, even at Auburn, name it. These are the best players from everywhere. So as good as the SEC is, a fourth cornerback, you get to a fourth cornerback on the college level is going to be a pretty poor football player when they're matched up against top 10 level picks. In the NFL, you're not getting that. Everybody can play. Everybody. And you can say the same thing about the uh, second or third safety who had to try and cover Kyle Pitts this year, but you take Kyle Pitts with the number two pick in the draft and you wouldn't make the same argument that, well, he's going to actually have to play real safeties in the NFL where he played against these Yamokes on but the how collegiate is that a level. Bad, how is that a bad argument? That's why evaluation is so difficult because you do get hyped up on – overblown statistics at the college level because it doesn't mean anything when you step onto an NFL field. Uh, so that's why, you know, you have bust everywhere in the NFL draft from the top five to everywhere throughout the process. It's a, it's basically a 50, 50 hit, even on the first round, even, even personnel people who've been doing this for years can't guarantee you everything. So, I mean, to, some, to say and look at a 166-pound kid, and by the way, I hope he's successful, but to tell me he's going to be Calvin Johnson or Julio Jones or Randy Moss, I think is an in, in, in impossibility because of the physical aspect of his frame. He's just not capable of being that type of player. Just not capable. When, when he puts up comparable numbers – then uh, he, he caught 100 balls this year without He's going to put threat. up comparable numbers to three of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Is this what you're telling me? On April, where are we? April 27th of 2021, you're going to tell me Devontae Smith is going to be Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson, or Julio Jones? Um, He could be Julio Jones, yes. Calvin Johnson, I don't know about. You're right. He's going to the Hall of Fame. And I know that Randy Moss is there. How about as Jerry well. Rice? Is he better than Jerry Rice? No, not. There's no <laughs> football player's ever been better than Jerry Rice. Um, and by the way, where did Jerry Rice play? In the SEC? No, he did not. But oh, by the way, what did Jerry White Rice weigh when he came out of college? It wasn't two ten. I can guarantee you that Jerry Rice wasn't all that big, and he got no, bigger. Well, Jerry's over. issue. Jerry was 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 very physical as receiver. His issue was he couldn't run his 40 times, supposedly, but he could run on the football field. 
And that's the same thing with Devonta Smith. All right, uh, we're not going to, you've dissed him, you put him down at number 13. That's fine, I'm going to defend Which, my guy. Which, by the way, it's not an insult. 13 is very good. 13 yeah. is very good. Yeah, it's an insult uh, because he's a top five talent, but that's okay. Uh, you and I aren't going to agree on this. We'll get Rick Saratello to chime in on it. I talked to Ricky enough. I know that he doesn't have Devonta Smith as graded as high as I do, probably closer to what you do, but somewhere in the middle will be my guest. Rick Saratello of NFL Draft Bible joins us next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. They traded the highest paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Thanks for tuning in to Birds 365 with the Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald. We're down to just 59 and a half hours until the NFL draft uh, with the Jacksonville Jags hopping on the clock. That we don't really need much help with. We're 99.9% sure it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. All the other picks, we need help. And for that, we bring in from the NFLDraftBible.com, our buddy Rick Saratella, how are you this morning, Rick? Good morning, gentlemen. 59 hours and a half. Glad somebody's keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, not my very strongest suit, but this much I could do. 
All right. Uh, you probably got on hold early enough to hear uh, myself and Jay Mac going back and forth screaming about Devonta Smith. You know how much I love the kid. And you can attest to this. Before John McMullen and I were working together, you and I have been doing draft spots. I told you last year he was the most talented wide receiver on the Alabama roster, which included Jalen Waddle, who some people have going ahead of him this year. Ridiculous. And or the two that came off the board in the top 15 picks last year. So you know that I've loved this kid before he ever went out and won a Heisman Trophy. Uh, where should he be ranked? Where is he going to come off the board? How big a problem is his size in the National Football League, if any? Yeah, I remember having those conversations because Henry Ruggs and, and uh, Jerry Judy were two first-round picks a year ago coming out of Alabama. And we said, wow, Mac Jones, what a supporting cast he had. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's still an issue because, well, let, let's take Henry Ruggs, for example. He's kind of a smaller-ish type of receiver in the John Ross kind of mold that, you know, I, I tried to go find some receivers hanging out in the NFL under 180 pounds, Aside from Deshaun Jackson, it's hard to find one. And I also checked Deshaun Jackson played, you know, started all 16 games once in his entire career. So, you know, can he perform at a high level? Absolutely. Can he play 17 plus 20 games at the NFL level? I think it, I think it's always got to be in the back of your mind, the long-term durability. And if you're saying, hey, I'm happy with one contract, sure, let's get through it. But in terms of long-term durability, isn't it interesting that the Dolphins at six are going to opt for, it sounds like, Jalen Waddell over Devontae Smith, who you know, is three inches shorter but about 10, 15 pounds heavier? Yeah, and I, I do think, Rick, it's interesting when, for instance, I had Devontae rated 13th, that that's some kind of insult. That means you're a really good football player. Um, in the NFL draft, anybody's in the top 15. But I do think you have to be cognizant of the fact that just what you said. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, to me, is the ceiling. And by the way, that's a heck of a ceiling. That's one of the arguably the greatest deep threat right there with Randy Moss in the history of this game. I'd take that. I'd sign that up for today. He's a great route runner, Deshaun. I think people have been sort of, a little bit negative because of the final years of his career, but it was really, really successful. I just don't think I have that Calvin Johnson upside to talk about that kid top five that in that type situation. Yeah. And remember Deshaun Jackson, a, a buck 69 coming out of Cal, he slid to the second round. There was no yeah. wide receiver taken in the first round that year. And if I remember correctly, Tavon Austin may yeah. have also been in that draft, a dynamic college player, but again, just kind of too small to, to survive long-term over the long haul. All right. Um, since we went there comparing uh, Deshaun Jackson with Devonta Smith, uh, you call it uh, Johnny Mac's uh, ceiling. What's Jalen Waddle's ceiling? Who, who are we going to comp him to? Uh, which, by the way, I think uh, Adam uh, Smith will be better than uh, Deshaun Jackson. So I don't think it's his ceiling. I don't think it's his floor, but I, I think he can go above and beyond that. Where's Jalen Waddle sit? And on a comp, what's his ceiling? I, I kind of view him as like a DJ Moore kind of player uh, with the Carolina Panthers, similar type with a higher ceiling, a higher upside. I think the uh, plus side with Jalen Waddle is he also returns kicks and punts punt returns becoming more valuable uh, with the new kickoff rules. So the fact that he can do that, I think, 
you know, really appeals to NFL teams as well. Um, but more, I think more from Carolina is, is a comparable player off the top of my head. Well, that not that's not what people are going to want to hear. But I do think, Rick, you have to explain the comp situation. You're you're comparing traits. You're comparing the type of player sure. as opposed to any time we talk about the NFL draft. I mean, it's tough to project anybody. Trevor Lawrence, who is about as clean as prospect you're going to get about a quarterback, it's tough to project him going into Canton. I mean, it's just rare, and there's, yeah. it's rare for a reason. Yeah, you, you hate to put a yellow jacket label on a guy, yeah. but there's another Carolina Panthers receiver. If I said, hey, Jalen Jalen Waddle's ceiling would be a Steve Smith Jr., hey, anybody will sign yeah. up for that, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that could be, you know, maybe the ceiling. And so, you know, I, I like Jalen Waddle, but again, like here's a guy that had durability issues this past season and teams are still value, value, value him over a Devonta Smith. So it, it's into uh, Devonta Rice, I should say, right? Right. There. <laughs> um, beware, when a kid just keeps rattling off all pro uh, seasons, you guys will remember talking to me ahead of time. Um, you and I talked so much during the last couple of years, Ricky. At the beginning of this year, we talked about the players' way to evaluation and what kind of ranking you would have them in. Uh, you had Panay Sewell as a top three talent in the upcoming draft. Even though he was sitting out the year opting out in Oregon, uh, you uh, said, Jody, check the videotape on this kid. He dominated an entire season. Uh, he's going to be highly drafted. Yet over the last couple of days, there have been some rumblings that maybe the Bengals are going another direction at five. Most people say, well, the only reason we got down to five because because quarterbacks are going to be taken in front of them. Well, if the Bengals don't take them, and then the Dolphins <laughs> don't take them, all of a sudden, Pedestal's down in that seven-eight range. Am I speaking out my ear hole, or uh, is this something that actually could happen? Yeah, well, all these quarterbacks are moving up the board, right? So somebody has to slide. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think teams were still building from the inside out. And a guy like Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater, these would be highly valuable commodities. Now it's, hey, it's a high-scoring league. Wing it and fling it. You need weapons. It's basically a shootout every Sunday. And if you can't put points on the board – well, then you're not going to be able to compete. And so you see now Atlanta could take Kyle Pitts. Cincinnati could take a Jamar Chase. Miami could take a Jalen Waddell. And now suddenly, you know, a Penny Sewell could fall in the laps of a Detroit. Or that could be where a team like the Chargers at 13 or the Vikings at 14, both looking for offensive linemen. I'm sure they would love to get their hands on a Penny Sewell or Rashawn Slater even if the Dolphins go offensive tackle at six, you still have to have the conversation. Do we take the right tackle in Slater or the left tackle in Sewell because two is the lefty thrower? Do you want to build a team and construct your roster against with a, a quarterback that's not durable? Or do you take the best available talent? There's going to be a lot of uh, heated war room debates because to me, Sewell is the third best player. But then you look at that LSU offense. It was so prolific two years ago. Chase, Burrow. 15 touchdowns of 40 plus yards or more. It's hard to pass that up. All right, Rick, I'm going to get this question and then fix my light situation. But um, uh, I, I do want to ask you about the veteran quarterbacks in this draft because Kyle Shanahan spoke yesterday in his pre-draft ability. How might this affect? If you think about the Patriots in their history with Jimmy Garoppolo, 
And, you know, they had hoped at one point, let's be honest, that the timing would work out so they could go directly from Tom Brady to Jimmy Garoppolo. He's probably available. And the Patriots might want a quarterback, might want to go up to get a quarterback. You think about Denver, George Payton, first-time general manager out there, has a history of Minnesota. He drafted Teddy Bridgewater. He likes him. There's a potential that, that they could go after Teddy Bridgewater. How would that affect, or will it affect in your mind, that that status of the Trey Lances of the world, or assuming Atlanta is not going to go quarterback at this point, Justin Fields, could they start to slip a little bit? I think if they start to slip, that's where you can, again, start to see some trades. And once you start getting into that area, of, I think seven really is where the Patriots could realistically start to think about moving up from 15 because you saw the ransom that the 49ers had to give up from 12 yeah. to three. They had to give up two additional first round picks. So for to get from 15, you know, anything up closer than seven, I think once Justin Fields, who the, the Patriots have been linked to, if Fields is on the board at seven, those conversations start to happen. I think Detroit would be more than happy to trade back. Carolina could be willing to trade back. Uh, Denver, to your point, if they're willing to trade back, that's where you could see a trade up for a quarterback. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I think the 49ers would be happy to get a second round pick at this point. But I think the issue has always been durability. He was always dinged up in New England, even when he wasn't the starter. And he's always been dinged up in San Francisco. You know, it, it's really going to say, hey, what's the cost on a Jimmy Garoppolo? A second? Okay, what's the cost to trade up and get a Justin Fields? Who do I like better? We'll find out in 59 and a half hours. Rick, when I talked to you last night, you kind of surprised me saying that uh, there's the possibility that a second tight end after Kyle Pitts could go in the bottom half of the first round. Um, my evaluations are not even close, that there is as big a chasm as you can think of between the first tight end and the second tight end in this draft. Uh, give me a reason why it's not as big as I think. Uh, and tell me that there are tight ends here to be had if you don't get Kyle Pitts. I don't think so. I think there's a good chance that the next tight end isn't going to be drafted till the third round, let alone the end of the first. There might not be a tight end taken in the second round that after Pitts, there's this uh, momentous uh, drop-off. Who are the guys who will be next up on the uh, tight end list, and how far do you think they'll? you'll have to wait before you hear their name come off the board? I, I think a, a common phrase you're going to hear, especially in the first round, is I didn't see that coming. Oh, man, what a surprise, because it is it is a rather thin in terms of depth draft class. And typically I have 14 to 18 first round grades players that you say, hey, any given year, these are first round guys. Uh, this year, I feel comfortable with like 10, maybe 12 guys. And so I would imagine that's very similar uh, thinking around the league is you know, after your first dozen rated prospects, these teams' boards are much different than what the media has. And it's all about need. It's all about fit. It's all about scheme. And so there, there's there's scouts out there with a first-round grade on Hunter Long out of Boston College, who's very long, by the way, one of the longest wingspans of any tight end I've ever seen. And so this is a guy that can be a pass weapon. Uh, he can, you know, do some inline blocking there at Boston College. And so he's a dark horse candidate. Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame 
if you want an old school throwback, you know, uh, hard nosed blocking tight end who won't hurt you in the passing game, by the way. Uh, but a team like Pittsburgh might value that at 24. And so, you know, I would not be surprised if, if Pete Fryermuth, Pat Fryermuth from Penn State, you know, baby <laughs> Gronk, you know, teams are looking for these mismatched weapons inside the red zone. So, you know, if I was a betting man, do I do I think two tight ends are going to go? I think Vegas had it at one and a half. Probably not, but I wouldn't be surprised either. Hey, Rick, um, you you mentioned some surprises and and some NFL personnel people are going to have uh, people on their first round board, so to speak, that you might not expect. And I, I want to pick your brain on potential players like that. You mentioned some of the tight ends. I keep hearing the Georgia corners, uh, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell as potential uh, first round picks late uh, in, in the process. Maybe Joe Tryon as an edge rusher. Any names you're hearing that, you know, you see all these mock drafts that would surprise the average fan that might be going in the back end of the first round. Well, I think you might have six quarterbacks. Uh, Kyle Trask out of Florida is a guy that's been linked to the New Orleans Saints, and he could be, uh, you know, now with 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 the back end of the first round of veteran team looking for a quarterback and not wanting to miss out. So Trask would be a guy. Travis Etienne. There's a couple teams. You know, everybody thinks Najee Harris is going to be the first running back off the board. There's actually a couple teams looking to trade up and, and take Travis Etienne much much earlier than people are talking about or discussing Terrence Marshall from LSU, I think is a guy that really doesn't get talked about enough in terms of being a first round pick Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. To me, uh, the FCS prospect is a guy that should not be ruled out when it comes to first round uh, consideration. I also believe that, you know, Nick Bolton out of Missouri is a guy uh, undersized, but man, what a tough hard nosed player. You might remember Sean Bradley out of Temple uh, a couple years ago. Nick Bolton from Missouri, very similar uh, type of player. You know, Jody Mack had a good one uh, last night when we were chatting. Asante Samuel Jr. I mean, if there's a team, if these cornerbacks at 10, uh, you know, Horn or Sertain, they start coming off at 10 and and 12 or, you know, Greg Newsom suddenly comes off the board. Hey, does, does a team value a slot nickelback in the back end of the first round, such as an Asante Samuel? And one of my favorites, Richie Grant out of UCF. This guy is, to me, the best safety. He went down to Mobile uh, at the Senior Bowl and proved it. And one other guy, you know, Divine Diablo, it, from my understanding, out of uh, uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech yeah. yeah, he's a dark horse candidate to be a first-round pick. Uh, Vegas doesn't even have him on the board. So there, there's, yeah. there's the variety of difference of opinions right there. Yeah, he's a hybrid player. Jody and I were talking about the kid from Notre Dame, who I love. Mm. Uh, the Diablos like that positionless, you know, I think the NFL is evolving in that way. But Jody brought yeah, up yeah, a good the Panthers point. written all over him. Yeah. Right? Jody brought up a good point. People talk about it, but it necessarily hasn't translated. But I think we are headed in that direction. Diablo was a guy who I said, wow, he's he, he might go a lot higher than people expect. And he's well put together. He's uh, battle tested, tested very well from a measurable standpoint. And yeah, I mean, it's just, again, it's the information gathering process. The media didn't have the access like they did in years past, not at the combine, not at the pro days. 
So all of their information gathering process has been a lot through, you know, text messages and, you know, relying on third party sources. And, and, and so, Hey, it, I think it'll be fun again, like leading right up into the start of the draft. I think you're going to start hearing all these leaks and who's being, you know, we're starting to get to it now. Jimmy Garoppolo can be had Julio Jones is available. And I think you're going to see a lot more of it. Let me ask you about information, Ricky, because uh, as you say, tougher to come by this year without the combine than previous seasons. Caleb Farley was thought to be an unquestioned first-round draft pick <laughs> right there with Sertain and Horn as a potential top cornerback taken. Uh, did not have much of a season because of opting out and injury. Has had a procedure on his back, and backs are such tricky things. Um, how much is his physical status going to affect his draft status? It's big to me. I, I get nervous about a back because x-rays can't tell you much. You're, you're relying on the, on the player's word. And anytime you have a back issue, again, that's always in the back of your head. He just had disc surgery. He hasn't played a game now, and who's keeping track? 510 days. Nah. So by the time he takes the field, <clears throat> it's almost two years have gone by coming off a disc. I don't know. To me, I have a hard time taking a player like that in the first round. If I feel that way, I'd imagine there's at least one team that feels that way. So I don't even have Caleb Farley in my personal top five rankings. I just can't do it. I want somebody who's healthy and ready to go. In that same vein, Rick, um, Jalen Phillips is an interesting player for me because I think he's a top 10 talent. If you didn't have the issues, uh, the concussion issues, sort of the the – semi-retirement uh he also loves music people hold that against him because they think that might be his real passion how, how do teams weigh that versus the the ceiling because i mean in a typical year if you had none of these so-called red flags and by the way chip kelly i think was a big part of it i think chip kelly destroyed his love of football similar to the city of philadelphia for a while um <laughs> Uh, it, he'd be he'd be in the conversation to be a top 10 pick for me. You think somebody dives into that pool a little bit earlier than expected? I agree with you, John. I, I believe he's a top 10 player for me. But, yeah, you have a hard time, again, justifying the risk-reward. Okay, well, this guy can probably come in and, and be an immediate situational pass rusher, maybe contribute five to ten sacks as a rookie right out of the gates. He's that talented. But you say, hey, what happened at UCLA? Was it a Chip Kelly thing? Was it a medical thing? Was it the three concussion thing? Did you lose the love for football? Quitting a team or taking a hiatus is very, very uh, taboo in NFL front offices. You know, Kylan Hill, uh, the Mississippi State running back, is about to find that out the hard way because he quit on Mississippi <clears throat> State. He also quit on his high school team as a senior. And so anytime a player quits, f red flags go up. Uh, yeah. Jalen Phillips, to me, though, is too talented, right? And he had the wrist. I think there was a knee. But now suddenly the Ravens, two picks at the back end of the first round after the Orlando Brown trade, they're sitting there at 27 and 31. They lost Yannick Ngakwe. They lost Matt Judon in free agency. To me, I, I can't envision a scenario where Jalen Phillips slides beyond the Ravens. I mean, this is a team, again, a contender looking to compete and kind of plug and play a guy. It makes a lot of sense. 
All right, Ricky, last one for me. And yeah, just mark me down as a bad guy to ask this question, but somebody's got to ask it. Um, NFL Network, ESPN. I think ABC is going to stay away from something like this, but either the two other broadcasting networks are probably going to have a guy sitting in the green room. Uh, they're only going to be 13, 14 guys actually in attendance at the draft, but they're supposed to have upwards of 45 or 50 with cameras at their homes to be broadcast whenever. Um, easier to do with a green room guy, but I guess they could do it with a virtual guy as well. Who is going to be the one that isn't drafted in the first round that they're targeting or following all night long? That's got that long look on his face. That's on his phone, checking to make sure he hasn't gotten a text. I uh, can't believe he dropped this far. Who's going to feel the pain of night one of the NFL draft? Well, you know, Kadarius Tony out of Florida, I think it's lost a little bit of luster. He was really down in mobile. Everybody was talking about a first round lock. There's some off the field character concerns there. So maybe he's a guy on a more uh, uh, notable. Uh, it's hard to envision out of the first round, but somebody I could see waiting much longer than what they were thinking is Trey Lance. If the 49ers do indeed pull that trigger on Mac Jones, I've, I've spoken to teams. They say, hey, this guy's a day two prospect. Hey, he's a day three guy <laughs> for me. So I understand it only takes one team to fall in love. But are there, there are definitely teams that don't even view Trey Lance as a, a as a day one or day two prospect. Man, Rick, last one from me. Uh, when we talk about this process and, and we talk about the lack of information you guys have had this year versus other years and the medical stuff, you know, this week was an interesting week because you go back to the famous Bill Tobin, Mel Kuyper thing. And I think the context of that that's lost is, you know, Trent Dilfer's agent at the time said that he's not going to play for Indianapolis. So uh, that's the kind of information team executives have that we can never have. And how much does that skew sort of the board, the fact that, uh, any personnel person, not just you, but anyone uh, doing this outside the league circles. Daniel Jeremiah described it as, I'm sort of like a 33rd team. Is that how you entered this process, knowing you don't have that that real detail that, that NFL teams can have? Yeah, and, you know, there's two scouting services that a lot of teams subscribe to, which are called the Blesto yeah. and the National, right? The, the, the average NFL fan might not be aware of the scouting service that collects all these information. And this year had more holes, you know, than a slice yeah. of Swiss cheese, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I've spoken to teams. They got a hold of our database. We share information. They're saying, hey, heck, how, how are you getting all this information? This is more elaborate than what we have. Well, I mean, we've got a network of 50 guys scattered around. We're, we're global now. We got guys overseas in Germany collecting information on international prospects. So uh, it's pretty elaborate. And the fact that, you know, I have relationships with schools that go back decades now, I can get a call back. Some schools, hey, Ohio State, I'm still waiting on hold. So, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. And, and I think you'll see that too with the NFL teams, right? Because the veteran scouts that had those relationships this past year are getting those callbacks where the beginner scouts, maybe they don't have that relationship. I can tell you what, the pro liaisons, they don't have time to call back 32 different scouts with 32 yeah. different teams and coordinate 32 different interviews with their star players. Like, it's just not on the top of their priorities. So, you know, I think the teams that do have those veteran scouts 
are going to benefit uh, greatly come draft day. We are glad that we always get a call back when we reach out to Rick Saratella. <laughs> I ask, he comes. Rick, a pleasure. Know that if the fans still want the PDF, you sold out of the hard copies of the NFL Draft Bible. Tell them how they can still get to get you to send them a quick, extensive PDA on the upcoming NFL Draft. Yeah, allaccessfootball.com for the PDF and then nfldraftbible.com. Uh, which will redirect you to the Sports Illustrated website. We'll have live coverage 40-plus hours throughout the three days of the NFL draft. Rick Saratella, thank you much for joining us here on Birds 365. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Rick. All right, Jody, i got to go fix my lighting issues. Uh, get to those lighting issues, uh, Johnny <laughs> Mac. We'll come back. Uh, we'll wrap up hour number one. Get ready for Trey Wingo. Join us hour number two here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl-winning head coach. They traded the highest-paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Moving right along on a lead up to the draft edition of Birds 365. We are the Mecca Mac guys, John McMullen, Joe McDonald. Thank Rick Saratella 
from NFL Draft Bible, contributing a couple times over the first three weeks of this show and the weeks leading up to the NFL Draft. Oh, we're now officially uh, 59 hours away from uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars getting on the clock in the uh, first pick of this year's NFL Draft. Uh, for those of you who've been loyal and watching the show since we kicked it off three weeks ago, you know John and I have gone back and forth on the positional player the Eagles will take. I'm a guy who believes they have needs at cornerback and wide receiver. And there are going to be players when they get on the clock at 12 that will be fit right there value-wise <laughs> for the Eagles to consider. John is uh, stuck with the belief that the Eagles have a his history and a tradition that if they're in the top half of the first round, they stay inside. They go into the trenches and or quarterback, and John thinks they're going to do so again. Uh, so he and I have differed on that, and we won't know how it plays out till draft night. Unless, of course, Eagles move. And then that throws everything into a tizzy. They could move back or they could move up. And one of the things I did ask Rick Saratella about was the fact that Panay Sewell, who for most of the offseason was the second, third, fourth, at worst, rated overall player in the draft, could slip slide a little bit, that he may get down past the fourth pick or the fifth pick or the sixth pick. If Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We were to fall down to the seventh pick, the Detroit <laughs> Lions. The Eagles sitting there at 12. There are a couple of teams right behind them at 13 and 14 that also would probably be well-advised to be looking to upgrade their offensive line uh, with the Vikings in that uh, mix. Uh, and Chargers. The Chargers, Chargers at number 13. Oh, by the way, Penesu will block for who? Justin Herbert at Oregon. Yeah. So it's a good chance that the quarterback will chime in and say, get me that monster from my left-hand side. Um, should the Eagles be on the phone judging what it's going to cost to get up to number seven? They were at number six. They had the pick. Yeah. They chose not to. But if you can jump back up to seven – and actually pay less than what you got for going from six back to 12. Is that something Howie Roseman should do if Panay Sewell is available at number seven? Well, I mean, Howie's always in that conversation. I think if there's a trade up, Jody, I think it's more likely to get ahead of the Cowboys and the Giants uh, in that eight, nine range Uh more than anything else, maybe for a Patrick Sertain, if they want to keep the corner away from the Cowboys, maybe something in that direction. You know, Sewell is interesting because there's a guy there said, well, they have no shot at Sewell. I thought they had no ever. When they were at six, I said they had no shot at Sewell. Right. So he's not in the conversation. Um, so if he starts to drop, you know, they took – a, a little bit of a hit. That's what happened with Andre Dillard. Uh, what, um, he he started to slip a little bit. The Eagles didn't do a lot of homework on him because they thought, well, there's no way this kid's going to be available to us. 
all of a sudden he starts to slip a little bit. They make the move up. They draft him. Hasn't necessarily worked out the way they would have liked to this point. It's not over, but we'll see what happens. So I don't think uh, Sewell is on their radar right now as for a potential trade up for two reasons. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to fall to a position. But secondly, I think they're a little bit gun shy because of the Dillard incident. Um, And, you know, this whole starting at six, Jody, they gave an indication that they weren't comfortable with the players and the value of the players they thought should be taken at six at that particular time. That's why they fell back. Um, To go back up, look, the only reason how we would do it is if it was a net win from an asset standpoint. So there's no question. He wouldn't do it if it's not a net win. So if we can project that he would do something like that, it's going to be spun like how he's such a genius, how he's this, how he's that, by people inside the league. Obviously, the fans are never going to say that. But because of what he did, because of his ability to manipulate the board. But, Jody, I never have a question with Howie. That's what he does. He always gets value for trades. Always. He never, on paper, loses a trade. That, to me, is not the issue. Getting the player correct is the issue. If he was up at six and he had a chance to get a player of a Sewell's type, you know, wait it out and just get it as opposed to doing all this, um, you know, jumping through hoops. Uh, The issue is the Eagles evaluating players, not getting value with with draft picks and trades up and trades down, because that's what Howie does, and that's what he's good at. But he has a difference, um, and I'm in lockstep with you in that I think it's one of Howie's strong suits as a general manager. I think he plays the Monty Hall, let's make a deal draft uh, game as well as most other general managers in the league. But he had his hand forced. It's like, I'll give you a card game analogy, when somebody uh, triples the size of the pot on the flop. And you got to make a call right away. You wanted to see one more card. You wanted to wait. You wanted to slow play your hand. Well, a guy just threw uh, a triple a pot bet in. And you had to make a call right then at that time. Otherwise, you got to fold your hand. And Howie Roseman had to deal with that with the Dolphins. I think they told him, here's the offer. But if you don't uh, tell us yes within the next three hours, we got to go in another direction because we got another deal we're working on. You can probably figure it out. Since we're offering you the number 12 pick in the draft, hello, it's the 49ers. They're holding a gun to our head, so we're yeah. holding a gun to your head, Howie. Are you going to do this deal? It's probably something he was a little uncomfortable with because I think he'd like to wait till he's on the clock to make a move like that. He didn't have the choice. Yeah. So he pulled the deal that he did. Now you could potentially wait to make a deal when you're on the clock. One of the things Howie told us in the pre-draft uh, media session was, A lot of these things are negotiated ahead of time. They'll have conversations with everyone behind them in the draft and ahead of them in the draft so they know what the cost is going to be. So they probably have a pretty good feel, and I'm using the number seven spot as an example because I can't see Panay Sewell dropping down any further than seven. But if you had to get from 13 to seven, 
It's much like uh, from 12 to 7. It's much like going from 6 back to 12. It's going to be comparable, but it should be less. And if it is less, you don't have to really explain yourself much. Somebody, well, you were at 6. Why did you trade down to begin with? Uh, you didn't think <laughs> Penesul was going to be there at 6. Yeah. And then the draft actually plays out. Not only was he there at 6, he's there at 7. You can get back up and get him and pay less than you got in exchange from dropping from 6 back to 12. I think Howie would rightfully be given all the credit for being Mr. Wheeler Dealer when it comes to moving and shaking during an NFL draft. Well, a couple things is, number one, I think the highlight of that trade was the indication that it's about 2022. It's not about 2021. So I think it's still going to cause significant assets to move up. As I said, you're right. I mean, Howie's not going to do it unless he comes out a net positive, but you're still giving up some of what you accumulated um, for a great player. But again, to me, you've signaled, especially at the quarterback position, this is about 2022. We've talked about that in the past. All of a sudden, if you lose some of those assets that makes you capable of doing whatever you want to do once you're flush with salary cap money again, whether it's the trade market, draft, what have you, I think that affects the long-term plan. I think the Eagles are going to stay disciplined to the long-term plan because they know they're not in a position to, to really seize any mantles in 2021. So to me, that trade was more about 2022. I don't think you unravel it, uh, but by going back up that high, maybe you go up a couple spots, as I said, to get in front of Dallas. If you're really, really in love with a Patrick Sertain, and you really think uh, Dallas is going to take him at, at, at 10, that that's when I think you make the move up. Here's the reason why I'd rather get to seven and take Panay Sewell than get to nine and take Patrick Sertain. Well, I'd like the player better. I'll tell well, you that. Yeah, and, cool. and positionally, you talked about mortgaging or sacrificing the future. If you're right about Panay Sewell, and it's my evaluation, Plug him in, he's there for the next 10 years. You got a decade worth of high-level left tackle yeah. play. You're going to plug Patrick Sertain in for the next 10 years nope. Nope. at the cornerback spot? Nope. Granted, the cost will be a little bit less to get to nine than it would be to seven. But if you're talking about long-term and you're giving up long-term access, future draft pick, you're not hurting the long-term by getting Panay Sewell and making him your left tackle for the next decade, if he is as good as that. No, I, I agree that I'm talking from the Eagles philosophy and what I think they're going to do. You're talking my philosophy. I talk all the time about positional value, Jody. I mean, I, I say all the time when, when we're done with this process and we're talking hopefully six or seven years from now, I think the players you're going to be most happy about are the guys like Sewell and Baratucka, Baratucker, who aren't sexy and fans don't want, and fans will be upset, they're going to be the three, four-time pro bowlers. Um, but, you know, people like sexy. People like the splash. Mm, which uh, I'm not sure. Uh, a cornerback is slightly more sexy than a left tackle, but a wide receiver would be the sexiest of all, and that's why I'm praying that Devonta Smith comes down to the Eagles at draft pick number 12. Uh, we're scheduled to have uh, Trey Wingo. Longtime host of the NFL draft on ESPN. He's supposed to join us. So we'll take a quickie timeout, see if we can get Trey up and situated. 
Talk NFL uh, Draft with former NFL Draft host Trey Wingo coming up here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl-winning head coach. They traded the highest-paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mack and Jody Mack across the Jacob Media Network. Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media channel on YouTube. Thanks for punching us up either directly through YouTube or the link on phillyvoice.com. Phillyvoice.com's own John McMullen here with me, Jody McDonald, the Mac and Mac guys waiting on Trey Wingo. Haven't been able to establish contact with Trey just yet, but we're certainly hoping to do so uh, between now and the end of the show. Uh, J-Mac, something I wanted to touch on at some point during today's show with you was uh, Adam Kaplan, well-respected member of the media, covers the Eagles here in town, did say yesterday that uh, sources were telling him that Zach Ertz will no longer be a Philadelphia Eagle by <laughs> sometime over the next five or six days, that by the end of the draft, it's a high probability that Zach Ertz will be elsewhere, maybe even in the lead-up to the draft, because it is as weak, that's the word I'll use, weak, a tight end class that we are drafting after Kyle Pitts this year that uh, once teams uh, realize that 
yeah, we're not reaching for a tight end. We're waiting, and maybe a couple of them go off the board. They didn't expect teams are going to get left uh, sitting without a chair, and they need a tight end upgrade, and they do something with the Eagles. Eagles might not get that draft pick compensation they want till next year's draft if they have to wait late in the draft. But it, uh, according to Adam Kaplan, it looks like Zach Kurtz will get his wish, and he will be gone. Except for one thing, John. Haven't we gone there before? Yeah. Haven't well, there been this reports? Has been, yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody, Jody, thinks Zach Ertz isn't going to be on the Philadelphia Eagles um, by Sunday. Um, and he's going to be traded sometime during this process, either the lead up to the draft or the draft itself. I think, you know, a lot of people have speculated about attaching him to 37, maybe to get back up to the bottom half of the first round. Buffalo is one of those teams that could probably uh, use a, a tight end like Zach and would make a lot of sense because that's a significant contender. Uh, and you're, you're probably not going to be able to get a, a tight end in the draft, as you mentioned. Although, Rick, you know, Rick Saratella, there's some, there's some tight ends that are, are interest to people. The kid from Penn State. Uh, Tommy Tremble, he mentioned Hunter Long. So there are some tight ends, I think, a little bit more high profile among NFL scouts than fans might think. But it's not a great tight end draft. And that should work out well for the Eagles when they try to get some value for Zach Ertz. I think they'll attach him to a pick at some point. We'll see if they can get that done. All right. I see on my screen that we are joined by the former host of the NFL draft on ESPN. Uh, He's got as much insight to the draft as anybody we know. Trey Wingo joins us here on Birds 365. Trey, Jody Mack and John McMullen here. How are you, bud? Great to be with you guys. How are you? Doing well, Trey. Thrilled to have you. Um, Obviously, you, you've had a long career with the NFL draft at ESPN. Now you're at Pro Football Network. Kind of take us through what you're doing now, and uh, we'll get into some of your highlights with the NFL draft coverage uh, a little bit later. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm working with PFN, Pro Football Network. Uh, we do a one digital show a week on their YouTube channel. Uh, I also work with PGA Tour Live, now calling uh, golf events. Um I've also started a podcast, Half Forgotten History, which has been great. We've got uh, two and a half million views already and uh, 11,000 subscribers, so that's going really well. Uh, and uh, I can break a little news here. I'm actually going to be working with Fox uh, on the draft, um, flying out to L.A. today. and Wow. For their interactive uh, draft coverage on FoxSports.com and on their Twitter, uh, Fox Sports, uh, NFL on Fox, uh, their YouTube page, uh, and uh, their Instagram accounts. Uh, so I'll be... We're doing a virtual draft party, and uh, we're going to do a draft watch party there with uh, Jordan Palmer, who's worked with Zach Wilson uh, and a couple of the quarterbacks in the draft, uh, TJ Hushmanzada, who's worked out with Kyle Pitts, uh, Jeff Schwartz, who has worked out with Penny Sewell and a bunch of the offensive linemen in this draft. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Are they going to put you to, through the car watch? Does that mean you got to go <laughs> on with Bayless and uh, <laughs> the entire list of the Fox Talking Head shows prior to the draft? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case, but I, back. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, whatever they want for the next few days, I'll be happy to help them out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Plus as a side gig, just so you guys know, my son works on the Fox sports digital side. So, uh, oh, okay. Well, so we'll get to, I'll get to boss him around again. Like he was back in the house, which is going to be great. Very so, nice. Tr- 
Yeah, Trey, what do you, what do you, I mean, it's, it's been a strange year for everybody, yeah. obviously. And you go back all the way to last year's draft, the first virtual draft. This year, people are going to be able to get together in Cleveland. Uh, kind of talk about these last two drafts, just how unique they were from a coverage standpoint. And also, you know, from the football side, the, the, yeah. how difficult it is to get information, all that kind of thing. It's interesting, right? Because last year's draft, the only thing that changed was the execution of it. We had yeah. a we had a combine. We had most of the pro days last year. Um, so the only the only change last year was how we present the draft. So that was that was the challenge last year. It was me in a studio by myself uh, with a camera operator and a floor manager, and we were the only people in there, uh, and everyone was set up remotely. Uh, and obviously the NFL Network studios were shut down, so we did our show for ESPN and also the NFL Network. And the cooperation between ESPN and the NFL Network last year was amazing. Uh, this year, I think the draft is going to be much more challenging in terms of its uh, talent evaluation because we didn't have a full season. Some guys played 13 games at Alabama. Some played six. Some didn't play at all. Uh, Penny Sewell, I, I just mentioned, and, and a couple of other top, Rashawn Slater, the tackle out of Northwestern, and they're going to go in the first round. We didn't have a combine, and you see all these pro days where everyone's running these amazing 40s. Yeah, never and saw I, so many four threes in my life. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the, the NFL scouts are like, wait a minute, is that a third <laughs> <laughs> here? So I think it's a lot more stressful on yeah. the talent evaluators this year uh, than it was last year. Last year, just like they they went through their whole thing. We just had to execute it differently. It was more stressful for us. I think this is way more stressful on the talent evaluators. Uh, and by the way, uh, this week uh, on Half Forgotten History, my uh, my podcast, which you can get on my YouTube page, Trey Wingo presents GM of the Chargers, Tom Telesco. We'll, be, right. we'll talk about how weird it is this year and, and how, how good it is to go into a draft knowing you have your quarterback. So I think it was stressful for us last year. I think it's much more stressful for the talent evaluators this year. Trey, uh, not doing it in the same studio last year with Mel Kuyper, probably got you ready for the withdrawal of not working with Mel or uh, made your life easier by not having to work with Mel. Um, so I know you're looking forward to that. Uh, this year's draft class, yeah. we know quarterbacks are going to go high. Three for three at the top, maybe the first four picks in the draft. Um, everyone wants to know, is it because this really is that good a quarterback draft that it could go four for four at the top and uh, five in the first 10 or 12 or 13, or is it just the need for quarterbacks in the national football league that these kids get artificially pushed up the board? Because if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a team, your evaluation, the individuals making these picks that you've been able to talk to, give me your read on the top quarterback class of 2021. Well, it's interesting. And I think Jody, what you said there at the end was the most important thing. Everyone feels like they got to have a dude, right? And and we go through this thing so quickly. So I, I, it seems like every year we hear he's the next this, he's the next this. <clears throat> and then half the time it doesn't work out. Um, you know, if, let's just go back. Let's start at the 2015 draft. The first two picks were Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Neither are on the team that drafted him. 2016, as you guys well know, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz went one, two. Neither of those quarterbacks are on the team that drafted him. 2017, the first quarterback off the board, Mitch Trubisky. Patrick Mahomes was just sitting there. He's now backing up Josh Allen uh, in Buffalo. 2018, uh, Sam Darnold 
uh, second overall. Now he's or third overall, wherever it was. And now he's gone and is with the Carolina Panthers. And Josh Rosen has been on three teams already. So, you know, it, it is a position that is vastly overdrafted now because of the way the game is played. And, and more importantly, the way the game is legislated. Like there are four positions that are most important in football right now. Quarterback, protecting the quarterback, catching the ball from the quarterback and sacking the quarterback. That, those are, that's it. You know, I mean, that's how the yeah. game, that's how the game is uh, done, offici- officiated, evaluated, adjudicated. So those are the positions. There are potentially really good quarterbacks in this draft. I think Trevor Lawrence has been on this arc for a long time on on an Elway, Andrew Luck type arc. Like he's been the guy, and there's not been much con- uh, change about that. And people have thought very highly of him for two or three years. Other than that. You know, Zach Wilson, hey, he looked great this year. It was not great the year before. Uh, could it continue? Absolutely. I, I take the, uh, the Zen philosopher approach. We'll see. You know, I mean, it all sounds great on draft night, but go back, you know, four or five years ago when the Eagles drafted Carson Wentz, they thought they'd got it locked up forever. And now he's in Indianapolis and you have potentially three first round picks next year, which get, which makes the Eagles, by the way, very interesting in this year's draft because they potentially will have three first-round picks next year if Wentz plays, what, 75% of the snaps or 70% and they make the postseason. Yeah. Yep. I like Jalen Hurts a lot, but I don't think anybody can say there's been enough of a sample size for them to know what he is or what he isn't. So if the Eagles are interested in one of these guys, they have the capital to go up and get one with those three first-round picks. That's, that's what it takes to move up. And I would keep your eye on Philadelphia this year. You always keep your eye on Howie Roseman, Trey. You know that. But, Both you know, yeah. You bring <laughs> up, I think it's interesting. You bring up the Winston Mariota draft and then the Jared Goff Carson Wentz draft. And you're right. Quarterbacks get pushed up the board. And it, at the same time, it seems like teams are willing to move on from them much quicker than in the past. How do you kind of explain that counterintuitive thinking? Or that's just the evolution of the league? Well, it's interesting. Certainly a big factor was when the rookie wage scale went in, right? I mean, the, the deals that, the, say, the Sam Bradfords and the Matthew Staffords of the world no longer exist for a quarterback taking one or two or three or whatever it is. We're talking 50, 60 million guaranteed money right away. You know, when Cam Newton went uh, first overall in 2011, I think his guaranteed money was 20 million. So it does make it a lot easier to... Uh, move on from a quarterback if you don't think so based on the salary cap. Now, clearly that is not the case in Philadelphia. Yeah. We're rocking a $34 million cap hit because you signed him to the big contract <clears throat> after a couple of years of success. But for the most part, that, that makes it easier. But I, I will say I'm not sure it's correct all the time. I think everybody's lost patience. Go back and look at Drew Brees' first few years in the NFL when, with the Chargers. You know They took him uh, with the second – in the second round, first pick of the second round, took him a few years to get on the field. Then a few years later, they drafted Philip Rivers. Um, you know, if you go look at the first four years of Drew Brees' career, people would say he's a journeyman. He's, he's just a guy. And now he's going to go down as one of the top quarterbacks of all time with almost every single passing record as he retires and walks into the Hall of Fame. So is it easier to move on? Yes. Does that mean it's the right decision? I don't think so a lot of times. Like if If – if the, if the Jets, for example, had done with Sam Darnold what the Bills did with Josh Allen, we'd be talking about a completely different player. They drafted Josh Allen in Buffalo. They believed in what they had. They surrounded him with talent. 
and he was an MVP candidate last year. Well, Sam Darnold has been through the cycle in, in New York, didn't really have a bunch of great draft picks around him, didn't have a lot of weapons to work with, and lo and behold, he's on his second team. And, oh, by the way, Carolina still hasn't picked up his fifth-year option. They said they were going to, but they don't have to until the first week of May, which coincidentally is also after the first round of the draft, yeah. which makes me think, I think they're going to play their cards close to the vest, see how the draft board falls, and if for whatever reason one of those guys that they really like falls to them or think they, they can get him at eight or maybe move up wouldn't surprise me if they dip their toe in the quarterback market as well trey it's the way we always handle it because it just makes sense first pick of the draft and then you start <laughs> thereafter to evaluate everything else and yeah. most of the times we slow down after the first 15 right. 20 25 and certainly the first round first day and then comes Day two, which round two and round three. And you're a guy who's hosted both day one, day two, day three, done it all. Day two and day three are pretty damn important in building a organization that can go to a Super Bowl. In your experience, are there a a team or a couple teams that do the day two, day three thing better than everybody else? Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because we get so enamored with the first round. And you can totally whiff on your first round pick and still have a hellaciously good draft. I mean, the, the, the first round pick is the shiny toy and the shiny object, right? But if you, if you go down and look at how rosters are built, the majority of your team is rounds three through seven and undrafted free agents. So mm-hmm. team construct is is what the draft is really all about. Now, most fans just know the names of the Thursday night guys, so that's what they gravitate towards. But, you know, you've seen Seattle over the years come up with some really, really good players in the late rounds. You've seen the Patriots do it. Uh, there 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 are teams and championship teams that are built on rounds three through seven of the draft because I feel like when you're looking at a first round player, there's a lot of CYA you know, in, in these evaluators, they're like, because if, if it doesn't go well, they can say, well, look, he had the size, he had the speed, he had the three cone drill time. I mean, look at the size of his arms, look at the size of his hands. You know, he checked all the boxes. And I think a lot of times they, they take people in the first round because they have the potential based on the, the physical skill set that they have. Well, then when you go into the second and third round, you start looking at different things you just kind of start watching tape more and you just see the guy can play i mean it's funny right 2012 we had uh, andrew luck go one overall rg3 went two ryan Tannehill went eight Tannehill has settled in nicely rg3 is looking for work andrew luck retired early although a little battered but the quarterback out of that draft was russell wilson in the third round and the only reason he was in the third round in 2012 was because he was under six feet Obviously, that has changed dramatically over the last couple of years with what we've seen out of Baker Mayfield and Kyla Murray uh, going uh, overall number one the last couple of drafts, 2018-2019. But, you know, I, I do think people look at, at a checklist on a, on a first-round pick, and I feel like the second and really the third round on, the checklist goes out the window and they just say, can this guy play? Yeah, uh, Trey, you mentioned day three, one of the one of – the, uh, Best players I ever covered on a day-to-day basis was John Randall, who wasn't wasn't even drafted, right. and that was when the draft was twelve rounds, which kind of tells you. And he's in the Hall of Fame, so right. you can find players on day three. But you know, as somebody who's covered this draft, I got to ask you: as much prep as we do, as much work as we do, when you get the offensive lineman from Washburn, do you just say, 
Mel? <laughs> there's, there's a great guy far who has for years uh, at ESPN put together uh, the draft packets for me, which would include, you know, I want to say all positions in, we're talking about four or 500 players. Yeah. So there, there, there was one instance though, you, to, to your point about Mel, there was one instance. It was one of the last years we were in radio city in New York. And I can't remember what year it was. It might've been, gosh, it might've been 2011, 2012, something like that. There was a kid that was drafted a defensive tackle out of an HBCU school uh, in North Carolina that wasn't on the official list of draftees that the NFL actually hands out as potential draftees, but he was in Mel's blue book. He was, <laughs> but, which doesn't exist anymore except online, but he was in Mel's blue book. And that was, that was like, to me, a crowning achievement for Mel. Good for you, dude. You, you, you found this guy and scouted this guy and evaluated this guy. And even the NFL didn't think he had a chance of being drafted. So there are certainly those, but to, to Jim Carr did such a great job for me over the years. I'm happy to say he's working with us now uh, at Pro Football Network. And uh, I've got my, uh, my binder ready to roll. It's a little less thick because I don't have to worry about round seven, pick 250 yeah. this year. But uh, his notes are, are really good. And, and he, he made us all look a lot smarter. I want to follow up on one more thing, uh, Trey, as you said about how the quarterbacks size-wise are viewed has changed a little bit because of Russell Wilson and the Baker Mayfield that you do, and uh, Tyler, Kyler Murray. You don't have to be six foot four. You know, Trey Lawrence, Trey Lawrence is six foot four and he looks like the prototypical quarterback. It hasn't disappeared, but there's right. a little bit more leeway. Yeah. Let me ask you about one of the more debatable players, and we've been doing it here on Birds 365, and that's Devonta Smith. Yeah. I think the kid is, they use the word unicorn to describe uh, Kyle Pitts. I think the same thing about Smith. I think he just is a phenomenal football player and talent. I get it. He's 166 pounds. And there are very few wide receivers in the history of the league who have been 166 pounds and been stars. I think he rewrites it. Do you, how does size affect wide receivers? Is there the ability to compromise like there was with the point you just made about quarterbacks? Yeah, I think there is. And obviously anybody would like him to be a little bigger. There's no question. But T.Y. Hilton, you know, he played around that same weight. And I think at 166, we're still talking to a kid who's growing. I think you can probably figure to add five to seven pounds on him. Uh, when it's all said and done, he's still probably maturing a little bit. So I, let's say his playing weight is probably going to be somewhere between, let's say, 172 and 177. Well, Marvin Harrison played at about 185. Now, I get it. That's another 10 to 12 pounds. But it was also in an era where you could really, you know, crush those guys across the middle. That's not uh, as much of the way the game is played anymore. So much to your point about uh, quarterbacks that are mobile and smaller sort of fit this NFL better I think 10 years ago we might have had a different discussion about Devontae Smith but because of the way the game is played and legislated I don't think it's going to be a big deal one way or the other he's either going to be a player or not and it won't be because of his weight yeah Trey that's interesting that's the second time you brought up that word I use it all the time to talk about the NFL as well and that's legislated yeah. how this game is now legislated um how much has that changed the, the draft process, just how teams value players? You mentioned Russell Wilson. That You know, I constantly hear if Russell Wilson was 6'4", he'd be a top-five pick, ended right. up in the third round. You mentioned Devontae Smith at 166 pounds. Doesn't have to worry about, you know, Ronnie Lott or 
can he easily taken off his head in the middle of the field any longer? So maybe that does give him a, a new avenue that other receivers didn't have in the past. Yeah, listen, it, it definitely has changed. Or, you know, go back to the, the, the great Philly secondary with Andre Waters, you know. And yeah. That, that you can't do that anymore. I mean, you can do it once and you'll get ejected and fined. You do it a couple of times uh, and you're gone. And, you know, we, we've seen the Fontes perfect, you know, and the way he's played and how many times has he been kicked out of games and, and been suspended. So, you know, it, it's just you can't do that anymore. So I, I do think it changes uh, the way you look at people. And also it also changes the way you feel like what you need. Um, you know, Von Miller, uh, years ago realized, okay, I can't hit the quarterback the way I used to. So what I want to do now is I'm going to go for the ball every time. And instead of like trying to hit the quarterback with a, a big hit, sometimes his entire goal will be, let's just see if I can slap the ball out of the guy's hands. And that counts as a sack for me anyway. And it puts the ball on the ground without me worried about getting a penalty for roughing the passer. So you're right. The way the game is legislated, dictated, and and sort of played now changes your evaluation, which is why I said earlier those four positions are far and away the most important in the NFL right now. You used to, hey, give me a Bill Berge type in the middle, you know, and go out there and just knock the stuffing out of people. And those players are still important. Don't get me Darius Leonard with Indianapolis is having a really good career. Um, but I don't think those kind of players can be the game changers that they have been in the past. You have to worry about mobility and speed and agility and the bone crunching hits that we all sort of grew up on. It's not the way the NFL wants to, wants to see this anymore. Trey, last one for me. And I'll go to one of those positions that you referenced uh, ability to get to the quarterback, like a Von Miller. I think this draft is woefully short of those type of players. There's a reason why no one is mentioning a speed rushing, pass rushing, either 4-3 DN or a 3-4 outside linebacker, because I just don't think they're there. They would be pushed up, probably not as much as quarterback, but they would be pushed up, and they're not. There's going to be one of them that's going to make me look foolish as I continue to say, there's just not a good pass rusher in this lot. Who's it going to be? Where's he going to go? Who's the best pass rusher in this draft? When's he coming? When's he going to hear his name called? Well, it's interesting. I mean, historically, we could have uh, no defensive players taken in the top 10, which would be a first uh, in the common draft era. We've never had a draft where, where there wasn't a single defensive player taken in the top 10. So that tells you about the quality of the draft. You know, the kid out of uh, uh, the kid out of Michigan is a lot of the people that talk about the, the kid out of Penn State, the outside linebacker. People really love him as well. And, you know, all the uh, the 40 times. Uh, a lot of them. Have, uh, yeah, four three eight on that trade. Yeah. Four three eight defensive yeah. end. Yeah, and then there's the the, the kid out of uh, the two kids out of Miami, uh, Phillips and Rousseau. Phillips had had an amazing pro day, but you know here's a guy that had to walk away from football when he was at UCLA because of concussions. And where you know are you willing to take that kind of a a gamble on a guy who might is might be one hit away from you know no longer being able to contribute, uh, and then the kid Rousseau uh, out of Miami is also fascinating because he was a quarterback and tight end in high school, transferred. Wow. Sorry, you there? Yeah, we got. Yeah, we got. Uh, became a different uh, position uh, in the at, at Miami, but only had one year and opted out. And then really did not have a good pro day at all. So, uh, you know, you see the physical traits, you see the skills, but 
how much can you really trust on what you've seen on tape based on limited snaps? Yeah, Trey. And, and by the way, check out Trey. Broke some news for us. Going to be Fox Sports Digital uh, draft coverage. Uh, that is very good news. For a minute. I don't know what's going on. Do we still got you, Trey? Trey? Well, we're seeing him. I don't know if he's hearing us, but uh, fire away, Johnny Mac. See if you can get your last question in. Yeah, guys, you got I, us, I can't hear you. I apologize. Uh, so All right. What's going on? Uh, we can hear you. So if you get it, I was going to bring up the Phillips kid from Miami of Florida. Uh, you mentioned he shipped it uh, from UCLA cross country. He, to me, is the one top 10 talent. Uh, I don't think Trey is hearing us. Uh. Nah, nor do I. All right, All right. Uh, we'll let Trey go. Uh, but as John said, going to be part of Fox's coverage leading up yeah. to the NFL draft. They are not a broadcast partner, but Fox is very much a player in the National Football League as one of their uh, main broadcasters. Uh, yes, if he's heading out to the left coast, my guess is they'll put him on with Bayless and Sharp. They'll put him on with Coward. They'll put him on all the shows. You got Trey Wingo in the house, you're going to use him. Uh, use him up. Get the most out that you can. And we tried to do just that. Hopefully you enjoyed hearing from uh, Trey Wingo here with us on Birds 365. All right, let's take a uh, final timeout. Come back. John and I will give you uh, 10, 15 more minutes of Eagles conversation leading up to the draft on Thursday night. Thanks for tuning in to Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl-winning head coach. They traded the highest-paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Jody Mack, 
the legendary sports talker, joins forces with NFL insider John McMullen. Start your morning with Johnny Mac and Jody Mac across the Jacob Media Network. We are Mac and Mac, your Birds 365 guy. John McMullen, Jody McDonald hanging with you. Uh, sometimes between John and I, uh, we are in lockstep and we see things exactly the same. Sometimes we are at loggerheads and we just don't mm-hmm. come close to agreeing on specific points, players and the like. I'm intrigued to see if we're on the same page on this one. Um, we thank Trey Wingo for hopping on board. Hosted ESPN's draft coverage for years. Chris Berman did day one. Trey would come in for day two, day three. When Chris stepped aside, Trey got to sit at the adults' table and do day one and day two and has just covered the draft from every single aspect. And lucky enough to get him on before uh, we had some computer issues. Some, some breaking news, too, Jody. Uh, true, that he's going to be doing work yeah. with Fox leading up to this draft. He did tell me that the other night when I was texting him. He said, I may have an announcement for you. I said, there's a seasoned radio pro who knows how to tease. He didn't tell me what it was, but he told me I may have an announcement with you. So he is a pros pro broadcaster. And he did something that certainly made me smile and borderline made me laugh uh, with the 15, 18-minute conversation we had with Trey. Did you pick up on the very professional, knows where he's at, uh, thing that Trey put into his conversation with us, J-Mac? I was, no, I did not. I have to admit. All right, so let there's, me... the pro, the, there's the pro, Jody Mac, picking up the tro, pro from Trey. I've got too many things going on with my lighting issues and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I'm just trying to get through the show. Uh, understood. Here's what I'm referencing. He did it at least three times, and I'm remembering one off the top of my head right now. I think he uh, referenced uh, Jalen Hurts as well. Uh, Bill Birdie. Oh, oh, Eagles. Eagles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eagles. Yeah. Like, out of nowhere, he yeah, would bring whatever point he was yeah. making. Andre and, Waters, you know, too. Andre, Andre Waters. Waters, Bill yeah. Bergie. Yeah. When have you and I referenced Andre Waters or Bill Berge since we started uh, Birds 365? We haven't. Trey yeah. Wingo did. Uh, he yeah. worked a Philadelphia aspect into the point that he was trying to make about today's NFL. That's a pro's pro. He's playing to the yeah. audience. He knows he's on Birds 365, and he's referencing Bill Berge. Who's better yeah. than that? Yeah. Now, yeah, I did notice it, but I didn't know where you were going with it. Yeah, but it is, you know, no doubt about it. He knows where he is. He knows <laughs> what to do. He knows how to bring it up. If he was talking about the Dallas Cowboys, he would have brought up, you know, Ed Two Tall Jones or somebody of that nature. That's what you do. He's the talking about Randy White. Yeah. You're talking about the Jets. He might have brought up Emerson Boozer, one of my favorite names of all time, Jody Max. So. Yeah, Trey's, Trey's got the ability to do that. He was uh, very good with us, and we thank him much. Prop him back on, and good to know uh, that he's staying with the National Football League. He was a morning guy on ESPN Radio forever, and he's doing golf stuff, too. Uh, you and I aren't going to be talking golf, but I might even get him on one of my radio shows and talk uh, multiple things with uh, him going on down the line. I uh, did see this this morning. Wanted to get your take on it. Uh, Mike Tomlin, head coach 
of the Pittsburgh Steelers doing uh, pre-draft media stuff in Pittsburgh. Uh, was asked about how things go down on draft day. And he said, don't kid yourself, Art Rooney is the boss. That while the general manager and I have been working together for years and we've got a great communication going, at times it's even nonverbal, we can just look at each other during the draft and we know what each other is thinking. When we're in the big room, the big boss is Art Rooney, who is the owner yeah. of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And as I'm reading this article, I'm going, man, I hope Jeff Lurie doesn't see this article. Because if Mike Tomlin, who's got a Super Bowl under his belt and been there forever, and they're talking about contract extension, is going to make him in a 20-year NFL head coach in Pittsburgh. If he is ready to bow at the altar of his owner and say, even on draft day, which is the most intricate football evaluation day that you have year in and year out, if that's one where you're going to turn it off and say, what would you like us to do, Mr. Owner? Then Jeff Laurie is going to want pretty much the exact same thing uh, from his people on yeah, draft night. I don't, you know, I've been pretty consistent here, Jody. I don't think it's a problem that Jeffrey Laurie is involved. I think every owner is involved. They own it. It's theirs. They have the right to be involved. Uh, and I always say, if the decision is on the coach, the head coach, for instance, the quarterback, the owner's involved. That Those are the faces of his franchise. The problem I have is when you get in the weeds, when you're talking about second-round picks, when you're talking about assistant coaches, most owners, most owners are smart enough to say, all right, you know, I'll 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 hand that I'll delegate that process off. There's a couple Jerry Jones most notable who who is the GM of his own team essentially. Uh, Chad Khan has taken over personnel in Jacksonville. I put that in quotations. That is not good. And you know those are your two levels. You should be involved if you're the owner. It's better to have an owner that is involved. Then an owner, you remember Red McCombs, Jody? Red McCombs owned the San Antonio Spurs. He owned the Vikings for a while. He owned, uh, I think, the Denver Nuggets for a while. He would buy teams to flip them to make money. He had no interest being involved. He just, it was an investment. He would buy a team, flip it, make more money. That's the worst owner. Right. The, the best owner is the guy who, who loves it. And, and Jeffrey Lurie is that, who wants to be involved, uh, who wants to be in, in best decision, but but hands off those weeds, those weed decisions. Unfortunately, Jeffrey Lurie has bled over to being a little bit more involved than he should be with some of the decisions he shouldn't be involved with. That's the problem. Here's where my concern is. And if I'm off base, please uh, reel me back in. Um, just using last year's draft, which is the most recent and the one that we've probably got the best grasp on because it has been that most recent. A lot of reporting. You tell me if you think it's been accurate, overstated. However, that Jeffrey Laurie was very involved in the selection of Jalen Hurts with the second round draft pick. That That's exactly what I'm talking about. Not overblown at all. 
Right. Shouldn't the be act- involved with the second round pick. The actual Eagle draft board had players rated above him and the Eagles decided to take Jalen Hurts. And most of the reporting is that Jeff Lurie was a mover and shaker. Maybe not fist to the table. We're taking Jalen Hurts. Howie, send a card. It. Don't know any of that. But uh, pretty good reporters who've been able to get great background information have said that Jeff Lurie was a big fan and he was a guy who... If there was a jump up the board of a of a position player like Jalen Hurts, something had to transpire for the Eagles to move away from their board. Jeff Laurie suggesting that might be a good idea would certainly explain it. If that's the case, do we have fears, rightful fears, that these next upcoming days, day one, day two, and then day three, that Jeff Laurie will once again be having overflexed his influence on the draft? I think there should be concerned about day one um, and even at the top of day two, as you get later in the draft, third round on, no, I don't think he has much influence. I think then you go to the scouts, but you know, first round pick, he, he should be, you know, involved with that. Uh, that's sort of, that's the big decision I was talking about. Um, I'm not saying he should come in and decree and say, no, the scouts work seven months. They want Devontae Smith to make Jody McDonald happy. I want you to take um, another quarterback, Trey Lance, for sake of argument. Um, It shouldn't go down like that, but he should have input on it. Um, Unfortunately, I think it has come down. I mean, Look, you don't have to say, if you're the owner, Jody, you know this. If you're the owner, you don't have to say, take Jalen Hurts. You can make it very, very clear what your preference is, and then everybody's going to fall in line. I think that is what has happened with the Philadelphia Eagles. And look, he's not he is what he is. He's not uh, the best equipped to make that decision. Uh, ultimate, ultimately, it may work out because the position is so important. But I go back to Andrew Brandt, who we had on the show late last week, Jody. And he said, look, even if you're right, that doesn't do your business. That building, the air is going to be sucked out of it if these guys are working for seven, eight months and you ignore everything they've done. You're hurting your own organization. Johnny Mac, uh, this time tomorrow, when we come back on with Bird's 365 will only be 36 hours away from the first pick in the draft. Will we know by then, over the next 22 some odd hours, will San Francisco tip its hand as to what it's doing at number three? We know that uh, Lawrence is going number one to Jacksonville. We're pretty damn sure that Wilson's going number two to the Jets. The 49ers, I did see a report. I Was it Tom Pelissero? Maybe somebody from the NFL. Maybe it was uh, Rappaport uh, said that the 49ers have narrowed it down to two players. They haven't made their official decision yet, but they've narrowed it down to they, only two. They know who they're taking, Jody. Uh, I, I love Tom. I love Tom Pelissero. You don't go up and give up what the 49ers did without a name in mind. And I choked about it. I do one, 1.0 and only mock draft. It's up on Sports Illustrated now, so people can check that out. I said the only thing I'll guarantee is I'm going to be two for two. And that's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. 
However, I'm 80% sure I'm going to be right on, on pick number three, and that's going to be Mac Jones. Um, they went up for a reason. They didn't go up to decide, oh, we might like this kid, we might like this kid. No, they had a target in mind, and they're not going to waver from that. Okay, here's where I'll, uh, once again, uh, I don't know if we'll be at loggerheads, but we'll disagree. I think when they made the deal and the subsequent deal with the Eagles and the Dolphins being involved in that, oh, they had a guy that they said, if we just sit here and take this kid, we're going to be perfectly fine with it. But we still had a month plus to go before the draft. Maybe someone stepped in and wowed him. Maybe Trey Lance at his pro day did things that they had never seen before. And Kyle Shanahan said, you know, I was perfectly fine with Mac Jones. But truth be told, when you put these two guys next to each other, I have actually changed my mind. I didn't have enough information on Trey Lance. I didn't have enough information on Justin Fields. Now that I do, I could absolutely go in the other direction. I think that could have happened. You might be right. I'm not saying it's not going to be Mac Jones. All I'm going to say is because there's been so much time between when they made the deal and when they're going to have to turn the card in, new enough information could have come in to make them change their mind. Well, anything's possible, and that's why I said 80%. But knowing football coaches and knowing Kyle Shanahan the way I do, he's not changing his mind. He went up there with a with a player in mind. That, to me, is fan stuff, media stuff, because there is so much time. You know, uh, paralysis by overanalysis, mm -hmm. because you have so much time to talk about this stuff, and we do it every day here. We're going to start saying, yeah, that's a possibility. He wanted Mac Jones. He's going up to get Mac Jones. He's not changing his mind. And I actually think that would be good news for the Eagles because then if Justin Fields is still on the board, somebody is going to trade up to try and get him, which means everybody begets who's not a quarterback gets pushed down one. You know my feeling, if Justin Fields gets into a position where the Eagles can get him, I don't think they'll trade up to get Justin Fields. But if he somehow falls all the way down to 12, I don't know how you don't call out his name. Uh, but if Mac Jones is in the top three, then that means the quarterbacks have moved up even further into the draft, which is good news for the Eagles uh, sitting there at number 12. By the I way, I agree with you on Justin Fields so that we we've had some disagreements. We have an agreement there. If And by the way, I do. There's a sneaking suspicion to me that Trey Lance and Justin Fields are going to fall a little bit only because of what I said about the veteran quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be moved. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be moved. So I think they might start slipping a little bit. And that might, by the way, Jody, also make moving down from six originally look all that much worse because I would take Justin Fields as well. Well, if you're right about the slippage, if he slips all the way to 12, how the hell do you not take him? Uh, one last quick, and I was ready to wrap here, but now that you went there, Teddy Bridgewater has bounced around. I remember when the Jets signed him a couple of years ago and I sung their praises because I said, hey, he's he's a good quarterback. They got him for nothing. He was a free agent. You can turn around and flip him. They did. They didn't get much, but they got something for nothing. They had to pay him a lot to not get a lot of production out of him. But what the hell? It's one year on your cap. Jets weren't going anywhere that year anyway. So <laughs> what it's. It's money you have to spend. You might as well spend it on a, a backup quarterback that you could turn around and flip. They did. Uh, didn't wow anybody in Carolina this year. 
but has flashed enough to make you believe that, hey, if you give him everything, all the weapons, uh, the great offensive line, and the wide receivers, not that the Broncos have that, but that's where people are conjecturing he could end up going. I've kind of died out on the vine on Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think he's a winning quarterback in the league. I think he's a below average starter at this stage. Is it just because of familiarity that you're mentioning Denver is a possibility? Who else really would think of Teddy Bridgewater as a starter? Uh, well, George Payton drafted him, so that's part of it. The Vikings thought he was going to be a star. I think people forget that injury. That was the Sam Bradford year. Yep. They thought they were a Super Bowl contender. He had a catastrophic leg. I mean, he might have died if he were, say, a high school player or a college player, and he wasn't at an NFL facility. They basically saved his leg, uh, could have saved his life uh, because of where he was. He's never been the same since that injury. I agree with you. He's not a top-tier starter. Uh, but Denver has that connection with him. Great kid. Uh, George Payton loves him. That's why people uh, put two and two together. But I'm with you. He hasn't been the same physically, nor should he been the same physically since that injury. Different guy. Pre-injury, I thought he was going to be a star. Post-injury, I think he's a you know, 20 to 30 level starter in the NFL. I think Garoppolo has a really good chance to be dealt in the draft, maybe even before the draft, because you're right, New England's got a decision to make. If they trade for Garoppolo, they probably won't move up to draft yeah. the quarterback. I think that's got a chance to happen. I'm not as uh, believing in the fact that uh, he's going to be able to be moved. If he is moved, I don't even know if it's to a team that he'll be the starting quarterback. I don't even know if it'll be a team that he'll get a chance to compete for the starting quarterback. I think the best place for him to compete for starting quarterback is probably right there in Carolina with Sam Donald. But uh, this will all come down in the next 48, 72 hours. We'll be giving you our insight to it. Plenty of draft coverage here on the Jacob Media channel as well. We want you to be here for all of it. Partner, I will see you in about 22 hours. That work for you? A little bit closer. I've got to do the math. I got to. I got to be ready with the math tomorrow. We will do the math. We will do the analysis. We will do the heavy-handed opinions for you right here on Birds Three Sixty Five. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media Channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.